0: Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join T2 and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People.
1: So, welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson, and me, Dave Pendleton. Dave, little pause there, didn't think he was going to come in. I nearly forgot my name for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's bad when you nearly forget your name. How are you doing, sir? I'm
0: very well. You? Yeah,
1: good. It's, uh, you know It's busy time, isn't it? And um, I think having chance to do something like this is nice. It is. Uh, con- we try to keep the content uh, going. We try and keep at least three or four a month. We manage that. And then we've had a bit of a lull for three or four weeks. So mm. we're going to aim to get back in. But uh, it's been some time since me and you have been in the podcast room as well. Has indeed. Um, what do you want to talk about? We've had a little brief, haven't we? And we've had a yeah. laugh and you're looking at me yeah. now because you're thinking, we've got no prep for this. We've, we've we talked about a concept for literally like two minutes. When do we, we have a prep? Yeah. <laughs> we, we talked about so this, this thing we're observing, particularly in a sales environment, for, mm. for a couple of minutes and then went, right, podcast room, let's go. Yeah, let's do it. So what should we talk about?
0: So it's, a, it's an interesting, I suppose it's an analogy, if you like, Um, by experience and observation and many, you know, dozens and hundreds of hours sat with salespeople observing, listening to, and so forth. And I I suppose it kind of explains what happens to salespeople in those, those desperate days before the end of the month, or of course, if you're a quarterly person, those last couple of weeks before the end of the quarter. Yeah. What happens to salespeople's behaviour? And if you like, I've given it a strap line that I'm calling chasing the cheater.
1: Chasing the cheater. That is got this this podcast is going to be called, but we might need a subheading to give people a clue about what we mean. Otherwise they won't (laughs) click on it, right? But yeah, yeah, we so we talk a lot at T two about challenge and threat state mindsets. And we do it in the context of just normal performance psychology and self-awareness, but we apply it to leadership and we apply it to many different uh, areas. But it definitely applies to sales, I think, Dave, more than any other department in any organization because, and for any listener out there who's familiar with challenge and threat, you'll know what we mean. If you're not, a very quick recap. A challenge state mindset is when people are focused on what they control, what they want to achieve, and therefore they attack it in a challenge state, you know, productively um, and in the right manner, usually. In a threat state, people become consumed by the consequence of failing a task at hand. So they become incredibly avoidance-based and they almost start, it's like that panic of time's ticking and if I don't do this, there will be a repercussion or if I don't achieve this, there will be a repercussion. And what we know in our testing and in research and science is that human beings cannot perform in a threat state as well as they can in a challenge, right? So let's come back to sales. Is there any other environment other than elite sport that we work in where the stakes are high, you win or you lose, right? Mm-hmm. Is there any other environment we work in other than sales where it is as threat state, i.e. you have a number to hit and you have a time frame in which to achieve it. And if you do, you're a hero and you'll be rewarded and celebrated. And if you don't, it will carry a level of exposure and pressure. And that's why I think when you call about chasing the cheetah, as the time ticks on, whether you're measured quarterly or monthly, because different people have different targets. Usually it's monthly, but mm-hmm. some people measure people over a quarter. Sure. Whenever that said time is arriving, it's like your whole physiology, your biology, your chemistry changes. The pressure ramps up the cortisol is released, the panic sets in and you start to do stuff that is not you. That's what we observe in mm. in salespeople, isn't it? it? And it's usually driven by managers being on the case, organizations, you know, communicating probably mm. not very well around it. Yeah, absolutely. However, we're all susceptible.
0: Sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, I was just, whilst you were talking there, I was just trying to think of another uh, easy example, easy to understand example and maybe people who are Heading up big projects, you know, really important projects with deadlines and budgets and, you know, many aspects of logistics and things like that would probably experience something similar, you know, but it's so multifaceted that it, I guess it could dilute to a point. Um, However, you know, that sales guy in charge of his sales number as part of a sales team, it's just so glaringly obvious what happens when, when. The messages and the narrative, I guess, get stronger from the management and leadership that, you know, we need to make these numbers. If we don't make these numbers, there's potential problems. And we all know what happens when salespeople get that message. Um, Yeah, absolutely. We start to cut corners. Yeah. We start to speed up. um, And we start not to, to attend to things that we should be attending to in such detail because we, we are so desperately chasing something that actually can easily outrun us. Because the faster we run, the faster it runs away from you. So in terms of, it, it, the whole concept is just about either one or two things. Either being much more controlled around your behavior and doing the very best you can do, and getting there or not, or actually just realizing that you're not going to get there. Coming to terms with not getting there, understand why you've not got there and make a better plan for what you can do next month.
1: Yeah. And on that, because it links in, I've got a personal experience of this at Gartner. And I've said this before, when we've delivered sales training or delivered other sorts of training, the best manager I ever worked for was a, a Spanish woman called Maita Roel. She was a a wonderful VP at Gartner and um, a great coach more than a, a manager, if anything. And um, I was coming towards the end of a sales year, not month or quarter. So we do have mm. monthly and quarterly targets, but the end of the sales year was mm. massive because mm. it carried with it the ultimate prize, which was what we called Winner Circle. Mm. Winner Circle was top 10% globally, one, go yeah. to a flash trip in a foreign mm. country with your partner. We're talking Sydney, the Bahamas, mm. you know, these destinations around the world. And I'd made Winner Circle two years in a row and it was the third year. And I was coming to the end of my year, it was December. The fifteenth or something, and I had literally ten working days left to make my number, and I was one big deal away, and I only had one big deal left in the pipeline, and it had been going on for months, and these this this client had promised me it will happen, and at this point they'd gone quiet on me for two weeks, mm. they'd stop answering my emails, they'd stop <laughs> answering my calls, right? So if I'm honest, I look back and I was getting desperate, I was becoming a stalker. Mm. I was sending three emails a day, mm-hmm. leaving two voicemails. I, my language was getting more abrupt and directive. Yep. I was, you know, but, you, but I couldn't see it at the time because all I was focused on is, is the prize and what line, I needed yeah. to do and getting up of the line. So I went to Mitre and I said to her, listen, and I was chimping off and I said, listen, this client has promised me this and they've let me down and they're going to cost me my winner circle and I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. And she said, mine, calm down, calm down. She said, "Sit down." I said it. Yeah. She went, "If if you was a manager and somebody in your sales team came into you with this exact same problem and laid it all out like you've just laid it out to me, what advice would you give to them?" And I went, "That's not helpful, Maita. I'm coming to you for advice. I don't, you know, if I knew the answer, I wouldn't be here." She went, no, "No, no, no. Just calm down. Think about it. If you was gonna, if you heard that story that you've replayed to a to a to." You know, or somebody replayed it to you as a manager, what would you be thinking? And I went, Well, if you want the honest answer, it's probably not going to be a good one. She Mm -hmm. went, No, no, no. What would you say? I said, Well, I'd probably say there's 10 days left. They've gone quiet on you for two weeks. Something is missing in this sales cycle, in this process. Resolution of concerns. Yep. The harder you push, the more you will lose it. Mm -hmm. In fact, you may have already gone across the line, Mm -hmm. right, by the sounds of it. So I said, so I'd probably say the deal's not going to happen. You ain't going to win a circle. Calm your jets and crack on and find out what's missing and have a fighting chance of actually keeping this sale for the new year or whatever it might be. And in that, and she went, she turned around to me and looked at me and she went, and there's your answer. Hmm. And it was almost like master the art of emotional detachment in a nutshell. It was the best lesson ever. And um, I sunk in my seat. I thought, God, she's bang on. And it was the first time in two weeks that I'd actually saw the situation for what it was and the mm. reality of it. Yep. And I didn't go to Inner Circle that year and I didn't make it. And I was never going to, Dave. Mm. But my behavior yep. was becoming so driven and erratic by my, my ability to convince myself that I could force this over the line somehow. Mm. And when you think about it, it's ludicrous, isn't it? Mm, it is. And I think that's an example of what we're talking about, aren't we? You know exactly you can you can ruin friendships, you can ruin relationships, you can blast deals out of the water. you can risk long term business from that type mm-hmm. of behavior. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this question, Dave. It's easier said than done because when you are a salesperson mm-hmm. and and you're trying to think rationally and and qualify out as much as you're qualifying in, but you have an organization and a manager saying, pick up the phone, close yeah. the deals, one big push, don't take no for an answer. What do you do? It has to be a brave mm. person to push back and say, no, this isn't this going to happen like this.
0: Well, all those things you just said, you know, let's have one big push and all the rest of it. There's no reason why you still shouldn't do that. It's just about the behaviors that you used to have that
1: one last push. Okay, so what you're saying is, Don't give up the fight. And as a salesperson, your job is to try and close that deal until the very end. But it's the manner in which you do so which needs checking.
0: Yeah, correct. And you've just highlighted the point exactly. You couldn't see what was going on because you was on the inside, desperately trying to get that deal over the line because of the reward at the end of it, which was winner's circle, right? So you couldn't comprehend not going for a third year in a row because of the way it felt. a start because it was an amazing reward and potentially because of the way it looked to peers, colleagues and leaders and managers. You'd been there two years in a row, not to make it three. How did that look to the world? So there was an awful lot of threat driving your behavior and it was thinking about the fear of the consequence of failure, which was not being there, not feeling the reward, not getting the reward rather than what's the best course of action to get the deal over the line, if we can get it over the line. And you know, what your leader said to you was incredibly wise, almost Jedi like. Taught you a real valuable lesson there about perspective, right?
1: Yeah. And she listen, there's nobody more under the pump who wanted the deal more than her. Absolutely. And for her region and and figures and et cetera. But I think what happened in the end by memory is I ended up leaving it for two or three days. And then right before Christmas, I ended up emailing the client and just said, Listen. Looking back on the last couple of weeks, I've probably become borderline stalkerish, mm-hmm. smiley face. Mm-hmm. I do apologize. Look, I was trying to hit me winner a circle and this deal was pending on it. However, clearly, there's some challenges. And whatever those challenges are, I just want you to know. Um, I'd like to talk through them in the new year, see if we can work through them. But for now, just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And they responded. Mm. And I think he said, Martin, I really apologize. I have seen all your emails and communications. If I'm honest, I wanted to try and make this work as well. But for these reasons, um, we can't get it over the line right now. However, it's not dead. We will pick it up in the new year. Um, you know, sorry to let you down type thing. Mm. And and we both sort of had that. I, I sort of realized in the moment that actually the reason he wasn't responding to me is because he would promised me something that then mm. he couldn't deliver on. And yeah, he felt yeah. incredibly guilty mm. and about it. You know, and, and so so it all worked out in the end. And I can't quite recall whether in the new year and beyond it came off or not. But I guess the point we're saying, Dave, here is y- you've got to check yourself if you feel you are wandering down a road that is n- you're not going to be able to come back from. That's it. Because the minute you become that, I mean, I've seen some incredibly aggressive behavior from salespeople before, pushy Same. behavior. Same. It never, it never really. I mean, no. I, what what's interesting is I, I worked with a salesperson once who he was quite his, his numbers were phenomenal, but he was a he was a force of nature, and he would openly say they either come in just to get rid of me, mm. or I piss him off and never hear from them again. Mm. But I'm cool with that. I get an answer either way. Mm. I wouldn't recommend that, right? Mm, not but, so much. But, yeah. but but that was <laughs> his philosophy, right? You know, it's like. He used to actually say it on the phone. I used to actually hear him say on the phone. Claire O'Voucher used to work with us. He used to say, well, listen, come on, sign the paperwork and you can get rid of me. You know, and laugh mm. about it. Mm. And actually, I, it, I can imagine them on the end of the phone sort of going, it might be worth yeah, me signing be worth 10 it. grand off just <laughs> to get rid of him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But um, it takes a certain type of personality to get away with that. But okay, Dave, if I was to say this, then let's get a bit practical on this podcast and I'm putting you on the spot, but maybe we can bounce off it. Was to try and say what are the indicators that would stipulate you crossing the line? What are the things that you need to check yourself on? Where you say, if you find yourself doing this, something's not right, you need to step back. What would you say those are? I mean, let's start with email.
0: Yeah, I think, I think maybe the frequency of communication because you know, whilst all deals are different, all customers are different in terms of how regularly to contact, you know, how regularly you need to check in and so forth, you, you would probably have a good idea if you're going over the regular frequency. You know, so if you're a, a relatively friendly customer who it's okay to speak to three or four times a week, potentially, to check in, see how things are moving on, see what else you need. Then if you're finding yourself doing five, six, seven times a week, then you know you're going over the frequency. If you're a bit more of a standoff customer who maybe just will tolerate one email a week because of traffic or decision-making processes or whatever else, and you find yourself doing it four or five times a week, you know you're going over the frequency. Most customers have a communication frequency that most salespeople will understand. So if you feel yourself going over the frequency, I think that's the first indicator.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And then to just tie into that, I would also say the nature of the emails within that frequency the nature of the communication is the next one absolutely because you you can see if you if you look at five the last five emails and you got them up next to each other you can probably see a difference in absolutely. the directness the shortness the bluntness mm. the desperation absolutely all of that it'll yep. turn from hi dave how are you doing just checking in as we agreed did you get managed to have a chat yeah, with the friendly, fd friendly. Yeah, yeah. did you manage to have a chat with the fd are we good to go uh, anything else you need from me and then you fast track five emails on, and it's like <laughs> Dave, what's going um, on? Yeah, I know you're really busy. I know you're <laughs> clearly incredibly busy. We all are, you know. And it's like yeah, little yeah, microaggressions yeah, yeah, that yeah. start to creep into your emails. Yeah, definitely. And they get a little bit more desperate. So mm. I, I say, check in with the with the frequency, but also check in on the nature of of them as well. Definitely. Anything else that can would would be worth them spotting in their personal behaviour or. Uh, the way they're operating that might just indicate that they're starting to go, they're chasing the cheater.
0: Yeah, I think definitely agitation, you know, and patience, a complete lack of patience. Um, so, so still thinking about communication, the response time, because when you're, you know, when you're in a good place and, and you're not chasing those those numbers and cheaters and so forth, then, you know, you're much more patient in waiting for the return communication from said person at the other end. Whereas when you start to chase it, your your patience levels uh, um, get much shorter. So you find yourself checking your emails, refreshing your emails every three or four minutes to see if that email has landed. And when it hasn't, it causes frustration. Yeah. So I think that's another behavioral tell.
1: Yeah. I'd also say one of the tells is that you will... You're likely to then stop doing other activities that you would usually yeah. do. Yeah. So, you know, you become consumed by it, like you say. And therefore, you're not taking your mind elsewhere to do some new activity or to check in on other clients or to do your admin or your yeah. expenses or your pipeline update or whatever it might be, which would usually be an essential part of taking you away from that one emotive mm. situation Absolutely. and deal that means a lot to you. Um you know, so yeah, how much other activity you're doing in 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 the day mm. um that would probably distract you or take you away from it is probably another tell.
0: I would think as well, you're probably going to start frustrating the people around you. Yeah, your colleagues no going to question. start getting pissed off. With you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, and your leader probably will observe this sort of heightened level of frustration. Um, So I think there's there's this, it's going to transmit all these negative
1: behaviors as well. I think. What about one of the biggest indicators for me is you start to start suggesting meaningless, ludicrous offers. So if mm. so all of a sudden, right, the client's not even come back to you and gone, it's too expensive. Or um, you know, we're worried about the long longevity, the sustainability of the product in our organization, or whatever it might be. You've not even had an objection and you're sat with your manager going. What if we did a 20% discount and we spread the cost over two years? Mm. And and it's like, well, that mm. might be that might get it over the line, but it might be completely irrelevant and you position in it and it's just, you know what I mean? Mm. We start trying to cut and I've done it myself. Yeah. What if just to draw them in and land them and entice them in? I mean, we're talking sometimes about fifty grand, right? If the if if the if the gig or the service or the product or whatever is of high value. You're talking a big investment mm. and we're trying to hook them on the last day of the month mm. by going, I'll give you 10% off for five grand. So you still got to pay 45. Yeah, yeah. It's still a 45,000 pound mm. investment mm. and whatever's stalling it is still going to be a problem. It's still going to stall it. It doesn't right. matter, no. right? But we, I think a big indicator that you're chasing the cheater is when you're just coming up with ludicrous yeah. suggestions that... God, may or may not be even relevant to them. Do you know what I mean? Mm,
0: Probably start overthinking it as well. What's gone wrong? Is it that person? Is it this person? Is it that person that's put a spanner in the works? You know, because it's never about the salesperson, right? Yeah. It's always the customer that's causing the
1: problem. I mean, usually we talk about it in sales training. At this point, there's usually a couple of things missing. Rather than come up with deals and offers and ludicrous suggestions to try and hook the big one on the last day of the month, rather than pissing your colleagues off, rather than becoming a stalker, Rather than, you know, doing all the things we're talking about, Mm. you're best off putting the time and energy and effort into reassessing that deal. We used to have a thing at Gartner called a value prompter. Mm. It was um, part of value selling. You'd have a value prompter where you would put a deal through what we call this process of a value prompter, and it was designed to say, right, let's just assess the health of this deal. Mm. Are we at the power? Number one. Are we at the decision maker? Yes. Okay. Tick. Yep. Right. Do we, have we uncovered the pain points or the, you know, the business outcomes that our products or service is going to deliver for the customer? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Tick. Have we established budget? Hmm. Not really. Mm. Question mark. Right. Yeah. Do we have timeframes agreed, mutually agreed with the client mm. on email? No. No. Hmm. Question mark. So then you start yeah, to go. Yeah. So it's not that we're at, not at the power and it's not that we're not going to add value but we don't have clear mutually agreed timeframes and we've not established a clear capital budget for this, the the sticking point could lie in those two. So when you communicate to the client, your communication could be around that and not, are you going to sign the paperwork times ticking? What do I need to do to get this over the line? Mm. You know, can I just check Dave? We've not really agreed time frame, so I don't want to be working at different time frames for you. So just you know, let mm. me know where are you in the process and what we would need to do next, just so I'm sure. I'm aligned with it. Or you know, have we? I can't help but think that we haven't established a clear budget for this. Mm. Are you trying to secure some capital expenditure? And if so, do you need any more material from me for the FD? Sure. Or is this going in OPEX? And it's already a budgeted for, and it's just a process of procurement. You know, your communication can start to be driven by the gaps in the deal rather than your desperation mm. does this make sense yeah no it makes perfect and, sense and i always encourage sales teams to have a deal review mechanism where you put it through five bits of criteria and you answer honestly mm. which which one can we take and which one is a question mark
0: yeah absolutely yeah uh, yeah you're absolutely right and and you know in different terminology what we would suggest there is that we haven't moved the buyer through the resolution of concerns effectively enough as a salesperson. So we've, we've got them to the point where we've built value, demonstrated capability and so forth. We know there's a match, but nobody's ever actually taken the time to stop and say, right, what's going to stop this moving forwards? And that's exactly what you're talking about. The, um, the, the tool that you would put it through to measure its value is exactly the same sort of thing as saying, right, what's going to stop this moving forwards? And have that dialogue with the customer, with the buyer. And if they say, well, um, we haven't quite worked out the budget yet, that's going to form exactly the same um, end result. So if you haven't formed the, the budget yet, then it's not going to move forward until the budget's formed. So there's no point in trying to push it.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you don't have to do this in a tool like a value prompter where you actually no. write down, you can do it on a call with four people. Different stakeholders from around the business right. who are impartial. We used to do these things called DRBs. Mm. DRBs was deal review boards. Yep. And a DRB was meant to be a half an hour Zoom. You get the salesperson, the sales manager, the product specialist, whoever's been involved in it. Mm-hmm. And you go, right, let's go, let's ask questions around this deal. Yep. What might be missing? Where are we at? What do we need to clarify? Etc. And quite often at the the person who's least involved in the sale on that call uncovers the point. Yeah. Because they they have nothing to do with it. Mm. They're impartial. It's almost like an idiot's question line of questioning, mm. but they'll ask something absolutely basic where the salesperson will just have that moment and go, Ah oh, shit, no, I haven't I haven't done that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm, no, I do. So yeah. DRBs are a great way to mm. or deal review boards or value prompts or whatever it might be are a great way. To be able to um, to review that, right? As we come to the end of this, then, Dave, uh, chasing the cheater, chasing the cheater. So, what are the takeaways? Be aware of when you're crossing the line, and behaviors. Back, behaviors, absolutely. Go back and review mm-hmm. what um, might be happening, what might be missing, rather than fall into a a period of desperate behavior and actions. Absolutely. absolutely. And if you're unsure, ask the most impartial person. Hold the deal review board and act accordingly. And if you miss your target, you miss your target, and sales managers won't be happy with that. No, nope. but if we uh live to fight another day, that's 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 the better outcome, right? Absolutely, is,
0: yeah,
1: 100%. Awesome, enjoyed that, Dave. Good stuff. Uh, and we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast. <laughs>